Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. Take your copy of God's Word, begin to find this morning 1 Samuel chapter 11. 1 Samuel chapter 11. In August of 1982, um, there was a national news story that appeared about a little girl named Jessica Ann, who was a five-week-old baby who had pneumonia and eventually died. And the reason why it made national news is because her father, John, was an um, evangelical, uh, hard-shell preacher. And John believed that God is a healing God. And so he began to pray for his daughter, that God would heal his daughter. And as time went on, she didn't get better. She began to get worse. And eventually she would die, never have been uh, taken to the doctor. Uh, the sad reality is, is that just across the street from their home was the local hospital. And so John believed that God would do something tremendous and God would heal. And so he didn't take his daughter. She dies. He gets uh, indicted, goes to court, and the judge really has mercy on him and gives him five years probation. And in those five years probation, he is to serve as an orderly in the hospital that's across the street from his house. They asked, the reporters asked him after the court session, what did he think? Listen to what he said. His response was, well, God is my judge. I'll give an account to him. Those are true words, aren't they? You know, when we look at something like that, we say in our world, how tragic, how sad. And there are people of different faiths that believe, you know, God is a healing God and so we're not going to go to the doctor. We're going to see what happens. And this is not the first story I've ever heard of in something like this. It's happened in other places. And what I would sort of say is in a very word of caution that I don't want to be his judge and his jury because that's not my position. That's God's position. What's going to ultimately happen to this pastor is up to God. What kind of responsibility what kind of um, judgment he'll stand before God for one day as a result of that is between him and God, not me. But I will say that I think it pictures very well what we'll see in the text of 1 Samuel today, and that is what I'm calling reckless faith. I think there are times that we have faith, but sometimes our faith can be reckless. I think for John, I think to... Not take his daughter to the doctor was reckless. I think that he should have taken his daughter to the doctor because my firm belief is, is that God has endowed certain people with some pretty good smarts to invent medicines and procedures and techniques that bring about healing. God is still the healer. But God uses those physicians, those medical personnel to bring about healing in 
our lives. Now, that's just my belief. You may believe a little differently, but that's my belief. I don't think that destroys my faith because I still believe God is the healer. God is the great physician. And there are times where we've seen God do some miraculous healings and do something that the doctors are confounded about, right? And so we thank God for what he does do. But there's a guy in the Bible in 1 Samuel 11, or excuse me, yeah, I got it right, didn't I? I'm in Judges 11, excuse me. In Judges 11, I'm thinking about Samuel because I was going to talk about Samuel today and I changed my message. But Jephthah is a guy who I think has reckless faith. Now, I have to say he has faith because the Hebrew writer in Hebrews 11.32 said that he could spend a lot of time writing about other men and women of faith. And he names four men out of the book of Judges, really three men and a lady, out of the book of Judges that could be talked about in deeper, but he's running out of pages to write. And so he sort of summarizes and talks about these were people of great faith. So we know Jephthah is a guy who has great faith. But listen, he was reckless. Now, when we begin to think about his life, he did not have a very good start. Matter of fact, I would say that his faith really helped him to overcome the obstacles of the beginning of his life. Listen to what he says, how he overcomes his past. Verse 1 through verse 3, listen to what the Bible says. Now, Jephthah, the Gildite, was a mighty man of valor, and he was the son of a harlot, and Gilead begot Jephthah. Now, listen to what verse 2 says. It gets worse. Not only is he the product of a one-night stand, but listen, it says, Gilead's wife bore sons, verse 2, and when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, you shall have no inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. You're talking about family dysfunction. Here's family dysfunction at its best. We looked at that when we talked about Joseph. Families are not perfect, right? I don't know any family who's got a perfect family. On the outside, they may look perfect, but inside the house, there may be a different thing going on. Amen? Y'all with me? And so here, Jebeth is a guy who is the son of a harlot. That means his father had an affair on his mom, or who would raise him, really, because it really wouldn't be his mother. And then she goes and has other children who despise him. That's soap opera. (laughs) And so what do they do? They say, there's no way you're going to have any inheritance, any part of what's going on in this house. Daddy's money is our money, not yours. Now they run him off. Can you imagine? That would be hard, wouldn't it? So what does he do? Does he go off and go to seminary and become a preacher? Uh, No. As a matter of fact, he goes off and becomes a gang member. Look at the text of verse 3. It says, Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and dwelt in the land of Tob. And worthless men banded together with Jephthah 
and went out raiding with him. It's interesting that what happens is he, he goes off and he goes to a city about eight miles away. And in that city, eight miles away, he becomes the local gang leader. The Bible says that these worthless men came together with him and they had a, a gang that would go around and raid people. Literally, the word for raid is a word in the Hebrew that means to lie in wait in a mountain waiting to pounce. And so what they would do is they set themselves up, maybe catching somebody who was traveling through, and they would jump on and pounce them and steal everything they had. Very honorable, huh? (laughs) He didn't have a very good beginning. And you know what we would say today? Well, it's no wonder he's a gang member. I mean, he had such a, a bad lifestyle, you know? I mean, he grew up in a home that's dysfunctional. I mean, the man didn't have a, he didn't have a, a, a good start. And so we just sort of make excuses, right? You can say, yeah, that's what we do, right? We always blame our past for what we're doing in the present. But you know, you, you can overcome your past. Amen. You, you can be greater than your past. How are you greater than your past? Through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So what happens to this guy? Well, somewhere along the path, and we're not told exactly when it happens. We're not told the exact moment in his life where he begins to make a change. We're not told that. I wish we got information, you know, just a verse that said, you know, he went to the the temple to sacrifice and there he had an awakening moment with God. We're not told when that happened. But what we're told is in the next couple of verses down, that Israel gets in a fix. (laughs) And the fix that they're in is simply because of their own demise. If you look back at chapter 10, it says this whole repeated thing that was going through the book of Judges, and that is the, the people of Israel did what was right in their own eyes. And what they began to do was commit evil before the Lord. And the reason why they would commit evil before the Lord is because they fell in love with all the idols of the area. And so they began to participate in idol worship. And so God had already told them, remember the Sinai covenant? God had already told them, if you forsake me and you go after foreign gods, then what am I going to do to you? God says, I'll punish you. I'm going to deport you. God said, you will not live in that state very long without judgment. And so the Bible says what happens is the Amorites decided that they're going to attack Israel. So the Amorites come down and they begin to take a siege and they begin to battle with Israel. And Israel is shaking in their boots. Now all the leaders of Gilead are saying to themselves, what are we going to do? We don't have a man who's tough enough. We don't have a general who's strong enough. We need somebody to lead us. And so they go to Tob and they find Jephthah and they say to him, come home. Come back to the house. And I'm summarizing. You can read this later. Come back to the house. And he says to them, why should I go back? After all, wasn't it y'all that kicked me out? It's good Southern talk, right? And so he says to them, he makes a deal, and he, here's what he says to them around verse 9. He says to them, okay, if I go back and God gives me victory over the Amorites, then you're going to make me the leader. You're going to make me the head honcho. I'm going to be the boss. And you know what they said to him? We're desperate. Come on home. <laughs> and so his life begins to make a change. We're not told exactly when spiritually it made a change. We're not really told when his faith really blossomed and became something significant. We just know that it was Hebrews eleven thirty two, 32. 
And we know that because second of all, not only was his, listen, his past, not only was it dealt with by faith in the sense that he was able to redeem it and he became someone who overcame it, but we find him as he begins to converse with the people of Gilead and with the king of the Amorites, we find his faith beginning to bleed through everything that he says. We see it, for example, right down, this is point number two. We see it when we know that he knows that God is a faithful God. Notice how he talks about God's faithfulness. We already looked at verse nine. Look at it again. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, if you take me back home to fight against the people of Ammon, and the Lord delivers me to them. Now the word Lord, notice in your Bible, hopefully it should have a capital L-O-R-D, meaning the covenant keeping God. He's realizing and he's saying, hey guys, the God who keeps his covenant, this is the God who will deliver us. This is the God who will give me victory. Notice how he's beginning to talk in terms of his faith, of his trust, of his belief that God is a God who keeps his promises. And that's true. Amen? So not only does he say there in verse 9, but slip down to verse 11. He says in verse 11, Then Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and commander over them. And Jephthah spoke all these words. Notice it says, Before the Lord in Mizpah. And so he makes this plan, this this, um, covenant with God and with the people at Mizpah. By the way, Mizpah was important because there were other covenants that were made there. And so he makes this covenant there. And so we see his faith beginning to grow a little bit more, don't we? But not only that, if you look down in the text as he's beginning to write and talk, and by the way, what he does with the king of Ammon is he tries to have a little bit of a, you know, diplomacy going on. And so he writes him a couple of letters, sends some delegation and tries to say, hey, look, let's not fight. By the way, the, the land you're fighting for is not your land. It's our land. We won it fair and square 300 years ago. When we were coming out of Egypt and we were coming into the land, we, tr- we tried to work with your former kings. We tried to work with your nation. Your nation didn't want to work with us, and so your nation attacked us. And when your, your king, Sion, attacked us, we defeated him miserably because God gave us, over, uh, gave us victory over him. And so we took this land, and we've had this land 300 years. So get out. Quit fighting with us about this because you've already lost it to begin with. It's rightly ours. But notice in verse 23 and 24, he says, And now the Lord God of Israel has disposed the Amorites from before his people Israel. Should you then possess it? Will not, he says, verse 24, will you not possess whatever your God gives you to possess? So whatever the Lord our God takes possession of before us, we will prosper. Not only is he a covenant God, but listen, he's a powerful God. He is the God who delivers. He is the God who has blessed us in such a mighty way. And now we see his faith continuing to grow. He's continuing to trust God. He's continuing to believe that God is going to do something great even in his present day. Listen, historically, God's been with them. He says today, God's gonna be with us. You can come against us, but listen, you're going to lose. God's on our side. And then he says, and we get another glimpse of it in verse 27. He says, therefore, he says, I have not sinned against you, but you have wronged me by fighting against me. May the Lord, here it is, the judge. Isn't it interesting 
that were reminded through the book of Judges that God would raise up godly people to lead the people because they were in sin and the people would begin to settle down and get right with God. But when the judge would die, the people would go awry again. Here, he's saying that ultimately people need to understand that God is the real judge, that God is the one they ought to be looking to, not some human person. And so he reminds the Ammonites, but he's reminding, listen, the nation of Israel, hey guys, God is the true judge. He is the one that we ought to respect and honor and look to, to fight our battles for us. That's not what they were doing. And so he, he reminds them of that. And he says, render, he said, the judge who will render judgment this day between the children of Israel and the people of Ammon. However, the king of the people of the Ammon did not heed the words of Jetheth, but sent He said that he sent to him. So there's this war that ensues. Now, before the war breaks out, Jephthah has to do like every other commander does. You got to ready the troops. You don't go to war empty handed, do you? You know, Jesus said a king should make sure that before he goes to battle, he has enough pawns to win, right? And so he has to ready the troops. And so this next thing we find is not only does his faith help him to overcome, not only does his faith help us to see God's faithfulness, but listen, his faith gave him an empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Notice in verse 29, as you look at the text, the Bible tells us that then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. Now, I want you to understand something. The Spirit of the Lord coming upon him is not like the Holy Spirit living inside of us today. Aren't you glad that Jesus said to the disciples, it's to your advantage that I go away. Why? Because Jesus understood the principle. The Holy Spirit would come upon people and leave. And he would come upon people in the Old Testament for a special endowment. Whether it be to empower a great warrior to fight and to win, like he's doing with Jephthah or as he operates as a judge, or whether it was to come upon all the craftsmen who would build the temple as the Holy Spirit came and gave them great you know, skill in order they would build a temple and make it the way that God had planned it to be. So the Holy Spirit would come in power, but then he would leave. And so here the Bible says that the Holy Spirit has come upon this great man in order that he would be a leader strong enough to fight the Amorites and win. So notice the Holy Spirit comes upon him and what does he do immediately? The Bible says immediately, we know it's for war because immediately it says in verse 29, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and he passed through Mizpah of Gilead and from Mizpah to Gilead and he advanced toward the people of Ammon. So notice what he's done. He's went through these regions and he's gathered his army up and he gathers them up and he goes out to fight with the Ammonites. This far in the text, his faith has been pretty steady. This far in the text, he's done very well. But then he's going to make a crucial mistake in verses 30 and 31. And that's when his faith's going to become reckless. And maybe you've heard the story. Not many people have heard of this man, Jephthah, who was a judge in Israel. But listen to what happens. Here is his mistake. And I call this his rash vow. Look at the vow that he makes in verse 30 and 31. Then Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, listen, he says, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the people of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, 
and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. Well, the rest of the story is, is that he goes out and he fights and he wins. And then he comes home. And you pick up the story in verse 34 and following when he comes home. And here's the problem. When he comes up the road and he comes to the house, the first thing that comes out the door to meet him is his daughter. And she's got tambourines and she's dancing and she's singing because certainly she's heard of the great victory victory that her father has won for Israel. And so she comes out of the house and he meets her. And I want you to see his response. And so listen to his response as we, we see him going out. Verse 35, and it came to pass when he saw her that he tore his clothes. It's a symbol of grief in Israel. He tore his clothes and said, alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. You are among those who trouble me for I have given my word to the Lord and I cannot go back on it. So she said to him, my father, if you have given your word to the Lord, do to me according to what has uh, gone out of your mouth, because the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the people of Ammon. So think about this. He gets home. He's made a rash vow. Now what? What do you do? Well, he's a man who's going to keep his word. He's going to sacrifice his daughter. Now the rubber meets the road, friends. How can a man of faith be so reckless? How can a man of faith do something so ungodly? I'm going to tell you how. I believe that although he knew about God, although he knew the history of the people of Israel and what God had done for them, he was flawed in his theology. He allowed his theology, I believe, to be mixed a little bit with the culture around him. But he also, listen, his theology was also missing some key essential truth. Not truth about God being covenant keeping, not the truth about God being the judge, not about God being good, but listen, he missed the truth of the word of God. If you begin to read in Leviticus, you will find that God despises the worship of Molech. And God specifically says, do not offer your children up as sacrifices. God specifically said that twice in Leviticus, twice in Deuteronomy. And guess who is missing that information? Seems like this guy was. Seems like somehow along the line he missed. But let's say he knew that. Let's say he knew he made a rash vow. The Bible still gives him an out. Did you know that? He could have went back on his vow. Why? Because listen, any vow that they made that was rash and ungodly and against God's word could be broken, could be taken back. There was God built into the system of the Israelites this idea of buyback. That is what he could have done is for the price of 30 shekels, he could have reneged on his vow and saved his daughter. It's in the Bible. But did he do that? Did he do that? No. And you want a reference for that, by the way, Leviticus 27, 1 through 8. says that he could have done that. So here's a man who's reckless in his faith. 
Friends, listen to me. We, we can have faith all day long, but we can also be like that preacher at the beginning of our sermon today who can let our children die because of our faith. You with me this morning? We got to be very careful that our faith is always, 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 not just tied in faith in God, but to the truth as God has revealed himself in this book. Amen? Because if we do not, we may make a rash vow. See, his, his little workings work well with the leaders of Gilead. He got to become the head honcho. He got to become the great leader. But what we find is that his very own vow that he made rashly, not faithfully, but rashly, was his own demise of his own family because guess what? She was an only child. No sons, no other daughters, only child. Now she's going to die. Guess what dies with her? His family line. There is no carrying on the family line. His own demise. Now let me flip the page for you because some of you are probably wrestling with some truth right now. And you're wrestling with the truth of how can God in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 32 say this man is a man of faith and he did such a horrible thing. We wrestle with those questions, don't we? We wrestle with those ideas. And I could settle your idea by saying, well, some commentators, probably about half of the commentators and scholars don't believe he sacrificed her. Most believe, most or half the scholars believe that what he did is he just gave her over to the temple service, that she just began to work for God and stayed a perpetual unmarried woman, a virgin all her life. That's what some believe. So he still lost his family line. And so we could take that road and we could say, well, see, he didn't follow through in the sense of sacrificing her, but he gave her over to the work of the Lord. The problem you have with that is, as you begin to make that judgment call, is that you have to somehow insert into the text that idea. It doesn't seem to fit in the text. When he comes home and she comes out the door, he tears his clothes and he laments. If he knew he wasn't going to sacrifice her, if he knew that she was going to remain alive, why tear my clothes? After all, it's a good thing, it's a good thing, listen to me, to give your kids in service to the Lord. That wouldn't be a bad thing. And so he tears his clothes. Listen to what he says to her again. You brought this demise on my head. Listen, was he happy about this? No. He was lamenting it. And she says to him, let me have two months Let me go up to the mountain with my friends and I'll come back in two months and you do as the Lord says to do. How can God call that a man of faith? See, we look at people in the Bible and we say, people of faith don't do crazy things. Let me tell you, David did crazy things. We love and respect David, but David was a man after God's own heart, yet he had an affair with Bathsheba and killed her husband. We look at Paul and we say, Paul's a man of great faith, yet he was haunted even by his own agony in the sense that he killed the people in the church of God. People of faith can do some strange and curious things. And we find all throughout the Old Testament and even in the New Testament that God's people can do some crazy things. Peter denied Jesus and he didn't just say, hey, I don't know him. He got to the place that he vehemently cussing, swearing that he didn't know the man. How can a man of faith do such a thing? See, listen, because we're people of faith doesn't mean we're perfect. 
doesn't mean that we're not prone to, in our own faith, sometimes do some foolish things. We want to be wise, biblical, following Christians so we won't make these kinds of mistakes. But the good news is that even when we do, we have a loving Father who forgives. We have a Father who can redeem us. I'm thankful for that. Because I know in my life as a man of faith, there's times where I failed. There's times where I blew it. But God was faithful to forgive me and to set me back on my feet and to push me forward. Amen? And he can do that for you this morning when we run into a time when we have reckless faith like Jephthah. Wasn't perfect. But listen, we'll see him in heaven one day. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? But that's how God is. That's why his ways are not my ways and his thoughts are not my thoughts at all. Let's pray. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.